Hey everybody, this is Naja with I Know I'm Crazy. So today we have Anita Bentata. She's turned her experience as a survivor into a powerful tool to help others. She's a specialist in trauma and abuse, and she's worked in the field of psychotherapy and counseling for 24 years. And she's many things. So let's welcome Anita Bentata, everybody. Hey, Anita. Hi, it's great to be here with you. I love your accent, first and foremost. So you're in Australia right now. What time is it there? It's just on 11 a.m. and okay. I, it's raining just really softly. It's just really peaceful, beautiful morning. Oh, okay. So it's like 8 o'clock Friday evening here in New York City. So I'm just so happy to be talking to you. Now, I was looking at your website and I see that you've written a ton of books. You've written three and I know you have one on the way. Who, who, yeah. who is your writing geared towards? Who would be your target audience? My target audience is women all women from all ages, because as a survivor myself, nobody talked about the uncomfortable when I was growing up. Mm. And even when I was in domestic violence and even after I escaped it, and it was only after my own therapy and then working in the field for so long, it built that emotional muscle to be able to talk. And over 24 years, I've spoken to so many women of all different ages. And now my daughters are adults. And when they talk to me about the mothers at school who are all different ages, I'm hearing from all areas of my life the amount of women that are caught either currently in domestic violence or a toxic relationship, or they're still recovering from it. And so I want to reach young women and older women. You know, I, I want all women to be really educated so that they can have the conversations with the younger women. Okay. That's such important work because Lord knows that us women need it. Now I totally forgot. And I don't know why I do this every, with every guest, but I like to have the guests on. I know I'm crazy to tell me why they're crazy. So I know I'm putting you on the spot here. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> So Anita, you have to tell us why are you crazy? Okay, look, there's so many reasons. <laughs> and I'm sure if my sister, my daughters or maybe even my sisters, they would, they would say a whole list of things too. Um, one of the first things that comes to mind is I sleep on the floor. <gasps> I don't sleep in the bed. Wait, okay, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wear barefoot shoes and I sleep on the floor and so I don't have a you couch. You wear barefoot shoes. You don't have a couch. You don't sleep on the floor and you wear... Anita, you are crazy. You, you, fit, <laughs> you know what? You fit right in with the rest of us. You're perfect. Yeah, You're perfect. And, and let me add, I'm getting my home renovated and I'll be getting monkey bars and other bars put, built into the home. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. Can I come? I, I want to come to Australia. God. Yeah, <laughs> like, come visit. <laughs> I will totally come. Okay. So there's so many questions that I have for you. And a lot of the people that listen to me or read my work, um, we have a lot of guys, but we have a lot of women and women that are in these high conflict situations, some by marriage, some because they're step parents, um, some because they're being treated a certain way by their own stepchildren. And I know you teach a lot about how, dealing with trauma, but first I kind of, I want to know your backstory. What is Anita's why? Why are you so passionate about helping us um, with abuse? Sure. 
Yeah, there's always a backstory, isn't Absolutely. there? Absolutely, and, and I gotta know yours. Yeah, yours. look, my both my parents had a lot of unresolved trauma, and they were they both arrived in Australia as young adults to leave behind the trauma from the war torn countries that they'd been that they'd grown up in, mm. and so. The household that I grew up in, there was a lot of control, a lot of anger, a lot of fear, and and I was ne neglected as well as a young child. And so I grew up tolerating and walking on eggshells all the time and not having a sense of who I was because both my parents were so self-absorbed in their own troubles that they didn't know how to connect with me and so I wasn't connected to myself and that meant I'd also learnt to don't upset anyone don't get anyone angry so I was perfectly framed to get caught in domestic violence wow. because when I met the man who used abuse with me I was too scared to upset or offend him and I didn't actually even want to have a relationship with him but I didn't know how to say no and I was just trying to tell him on the first night where he stalked me at the party I just want to be friends wow. but I got so, caught. Let me, let me oh, going back that, to that night at the party you said that yeah. he stalked you and you weren't really that interested however because of some predisposition that you had just from your childhood you know you kind of fell into that thing now when you say he was abusive what is this Mental, emotional, physical abuse, or all of the above? All of the above and more. <sighs> yeah. So sexual as well, um, financial, social, spiritual, um, image-based abuse. And, you know, after I escaped, then there was legal abuse. Um, there was also child abuse on, on my two children. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there was a, a long list. You, I was uh, reading your website, and she has a beautiful website, by the way, everyone. I'll be sharing all of her links over on the blog. But, Anita, you said something. You said that most people don't realize they are in an abusive relationship. And when I read that, I was like, well, I mean, if someone's hitting you or gaslighting you, then it, it should seem kind of obvious. So how would someone not realize that they are, in fact, in an abusive relationship? It, it's funny that, and I didn't realise myself that I was. You just, you just label it. Well, for starters, when you're in overwhelm, your frontal cortex shuts down. So you actually lose access to being able to process what you're thinking and feeling. Oh, okay. so, so from that perspective, you're just in emergency mode. And so for me and what I've heard with many women and men, because I do, you know, I have worked with men too, that have not realised that they're in an abusive relationship and that's included physical abuse as well as emotional and a, and a whole range of other abuses. The common denominator that I hear from people is that when we're inside the heat of, even if it's physical, we have a picture about what abuse looks like and what people who have been abused look like. Right, right. Real stereotype. And we don't identify ourselves as being that victim. We see ourselves standing up for ourselves, um, speaking up, fighting in some way. 
And so we don't see ourselves like that abused story that, that we see. But very often when people, whether it's physical or verbal or you know, emotional, any of the, the numerous types of abuse, in the moment we're just being with the... It's like an out-of-body experience, you know, because like you said, the frontal... What is it? The frontal cortex or the frontal lobe? Yeah. You, you, you're yeah. not even using that. So that thing is gone numb at this point. Yeah. And so yeah. is it like a survival mode type of thing that we go in? In order yes, to... absolutely. It's a survival mode. And like when you're in the te- intensity of the disagreements or not even disagreements, that's not accurate because very often it's not a disagreement. It's somebody out of being the abusive. blue yeah. being unrealistic to, and, and unpredictable to the other person. It doesn't matter whether you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing, the abuse still happens. So what about afterwards? Because I can understand not having access to a piece of your brain because your brain wants to protect you from this perceived trauma. Well, not perceived, this actual trauma. But then what about after the abuse is done? You're just sitting there and you're bloody or you're emotional, you're crying and you still don't realize or a person still would not be able to admit they have been abused? Well, uh, abuse is such a highly charged word that I think a lot of people are scared of it and they can't tolerate acknowledging the meaning of it because that would mean big change in their life. Mm. So there's a lot of involuntary defences that keep us away from being with that. And even women that have fully left the abuse, when I interviewed some women for one of my books, they didn't want to use that word. They kept avoiding it because there's a lot of a shame associated with it and shame attacks our sense of self. And so when you've got the experience of your frontal cortex shut down and you don't process when you're inside the abuse and the reason that happens is our system says there's too much happening for me right now that I don't know how to integrate and metabolise, so I have to disconnect. So it's system overload. Let's stop everything. Yeah. Yeah, I see. And the system disconnects in that moment because it's overloaded. But the optimal outcome is that we're meant to get to a place of safety and security where there's resources and support to integrate what our system couldn't metabolize and integrate. Mm-hmm. But we live in a society, and I believe it's the same in the US as in Australia, that not many practitioners are adequately trained in trauma and abuse. And so we have, and the same as with, there's a lot of abuse and bullying happening in politics Mm, and in organisations and businesses. So we've got this bullying and and toxic behaviours happening in so many places that people are constantly in survival stress mode and reacting in what our brain has done most recently and most frequently. Mm. And so, you know, most people, when they go to a therapist, even the therapist doesn't know how to switch the brain out of the stress response. The so often how does a person, um, if a person can't see a therapist and they are, they just left an emotionally charged situation, um, how can they switch their own brain? Are there any tactics that you teach so that we can kind of yeah. switch our brains back off to, um, I don't want to say normal, but out of that abuse mode? Yeah, yeah, to switch our brain back so both hemispheres are talking to each other and we so can how think do we do about that? our feeling and feel about our thinking. I've got the the exercise that 
there's basically a few exercises, a mind-body exercise that's based on traditional Chinese medicine that understands that the brain and the body are one, that they're connected, whereas Western medicine has really disconnected the brain from the body mm, and acted yeah. as the body is something that we have to control. But the body is where our unconscious lives and where the involuntary responses are. So there's two places that... that men or women can access this tool that just gets the brain connected and talking to each other again. There are other mind-body tools that are really valuable to then process what we couldn't process originally. So you mentioned that um, you, you teach methods of self-care when relationships impact us in toxic ways. And in the community that comes to me for help, advice, guidance, all this stuff, um, one of the main things that I teach is conflict resolution, but you as a psychotherapist, um, I love the fact that you said, you know, you, you help people to practice self-care when relationships impact us in toxic ways. Cause there's a lot of people that I talk to on a daily basis. And I know you too, you as well that are in these toxic situations and, uh, they need help. So what can, what can you say to people that are just now learning that, yeah. You got to do some self-care when you're in a toxic, whether you are communicating with an, a, an ex-spouse or um, a lot of these step-parents that are in these toxic um, co-parenting situations. What can you say, Anita, to these people in the way of self-care? Sure. One of the things when I was with the person that used abuse, he had a child from another marriage. So I did have the, and I had a child from a previous marriage. And oh, okay. And then we had a mutual child. So really have so had you were both step parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was really aware of how he would become more violent and aggressive when his son was not with us. Um, and it didn't matter how much I talked or was reasonable or assertive or understanding it didn't make a difference. And so what I've learned about conflict and toxic relationships is to listen to your feelings and take action on them and don't wait for the other person to, to realise things because I kept waiting and waiting, hoping, telling myself things that were reasonable but that he wasn't walking the talk and living. And so what happened was I was putting myself and the children in a very toxic environment. Mm -hmm. And what I really advocate now is maybe if I take a step back, what I find, what I did and what I see a lot of people do is they bestow a, a level of skill or maturity to the other person or a a level of character that the other person actually isn't capable living uh. or capable of at that time. And we use a lot of hope and false hope to imagine that, that the person will get this when the reality of their behaviours is showing that they don't. And so very often I find people are bestowing a reasonableness on a person that they don't have at that point in their life. So and you're we're expecting, waiting. So it's basically yeah. you're expecting an a person a person 
that is throwing toxicity your way, that is constantly abusing you and berating you, you're expecting you them to show you a level of compassion when they literally don't have that. They don't carry compassion as a, par- a part of their being, right? Mm. So well, is that the first well, thing you're saying is like, first, you just have to accept the fact that they ain't got it. They don't have it to give you. So they're not ever going to do that. So then and, what are, and mm-hmm. the, if I can just add one more thing. Yeah. The, yeah. Because we get in a passive habit when we're with someone who's toxic, where we're waiting for them to do the right thing and we're giving the power to them and we need to make a step today about what we need to do that gives our sense of well-being more support rather than waiting for someone else to do something for us to feel better. Mm. We have to pick up, as we say here in America, put on your big girl panties and yeah. walk, or put on your big girl boots and do the walk yourself. I get it. So then as far as self-care, because, you know, once you are like, you, let's just say a person is just finishing a heated phone call or they're, they're leaving a heated situation where they've been triggered every which way possible. And now they're sitting there pissed off. They're feeling attacked. They're feeling victimized. They're questioning, why won't this person show me compassion? And you just told us that it's just like they don't have it. So what's the first thing that a person should do? Like, what should I do, for example, if I get a phone call right now from uh, an ex? Naja, you this, I hate you. And da 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 You know, I'm feeling awfully, I'm feeling awful. Um, what do I do to, like, what method of self-care do I immediately need to go into? Okay. I can tell you two things. Mm-hmm. And if you want, um, like the second one, I'll actually describe a, a tool that okay. people could do so they have something concrete. The first thing is tell yourself this is nothing about you. Because even if you say something that is um, upsetting for the other person or even if you say something that in hindsight you would have preferred not to have said, everybody has their own integrity and power of self to make those choices about well even if I don't like what the other person says how do I want to be in the world that makes me feel good so we don't have to have the pressure of getting things right all the time and and so to be able to say this is not about me And then the second thing I'll teach everyone right now, a really simple mind-body tool. It's not one of the two that I spoke about before, Mm -hmm. but it's a really, really powerful, simple tool that you don't need anyone to do it. I love it. And when I'm teaching clients this tool, they feel so much better after they've done it. And I guess I'm going to have to ask you to put aside your rational thinking self because our, <laughs> our modern world is very left brain, very focused on the rational, the logic, black and white proof. Um, and this is why we have so many problems in our world because we don't live from both hemispheres and the right hemisphere if the left hemisphere being rational and logical is more masculine principles, mm-hmm. the right hemisphere is more feminine principles of the body, the unconscious feelings, the mysterious, the unknown, the abstract. So what I'm going to teach is based on traditional Chinese medicine, the works with the energy system okay. in, the, in the body. 
yeah now there's one meridian that starts under our bottom lip in that indentation and it comes down like a like a zip to our pubic bone wait what's and, a meridian i'm i'm slow what's a meridian okay in chinese medicine thousands of years ago they studied about people with ill health and they started to notice patterns to do with um organ and body health and feelings and behaviours from the person. And they linked different ill health things along with different organs and different attitudes. Mm -hmm. And they found that there was like rivers of energy running through the body. And when those rivers of energy, which they call meridians, Ah. were were blocked, each meridian is connected to an organ or bodily function. So kind of like the pressure points that they hit when you go and have acupuncture or they're like, oh, your liver is blocked. So let me stick you here. It's kind of like that, right? Yeah. The acupuncture points are on the meridians. Okay. Okay. So I get it. I'm not that slow. Not today anyway. Okay. I got it. So there's a meridian from, uh, from under, under the lip in that indentation. Under the lip, the indentation. So everybody listening point to under your lip. All yep. the way down to the pubic bone. Yeah, so it's like a zip. Okay. Yeah. And so what you can do is when you get off, say, that phone call and you're feeling crappy mm-hmm. because of something that was said or a feeling or a thought that it's triggered in you or whatever, as you unzip with your fingers, it's as if you're unzipping from that point first point to the last point and while you're unzipping three times you're imagining that feeling thought you're symbolizing it in a color or a symbol of unzipping and it coming out oh i like that i just got a mental picture it's like all this stuff and soot and dirt and dust just oozing flying out of your body oh i like it i like it once you've unzipped and you've been with the feeling and the image of the thought or whatever it is that's going on, and you don't have to have real clarity about, you know, if you just feel crappy, like if this crappy had a colour or a shape or a yeah. symbol, what would it look like? Mm-hmm. But if you've got more details, then you be with those details. So you imagine that flushing out while you unzip three times. Once you've done that, then you get your fingers as if you're zipping up from the pubic bone now up to the top mm-hmm. three times again. And as you zip up, it's like you're sealing, yeah, that, that energy and our, and our whole system. And so as you're zipping up, you're imagining, feeling, sensing what is needed to that that yuck feeling or thought kept you away from. Just say, I'm, you know, it might be, I'm lovable just the way I am or, right. um, I, so good. Yeah. That's, like that's just whatever good. statements or feelings about reclaiming a positive sense of self or a right to be in the world or that self-acceptance or you say, you know, I whatever am valuable, I am powerful, yes. I am beautiful. I actually do deserve love. I should be happy. I am not. I'm a good person. I'm a great mom. 
you know, all those things, you reinforce those back up into the zip. I really hope you all that are listening to this out here, because when she was describing it, I was sitting here zipping myself up and down. So I hope you all, I hope you all were doing it too. That's such a powerful exercise and something that's so um, simplistic, but what it represents is preserving yourself, closing it back up. So you're keeping the bad out. Yeah, because we're so much more than a rational flesh human being. We have an energy system and without energy, we're not alive. And Mm -hmm. we've all had experiences where you walk into a room and you feel the energy of the room or you stand next to a person and you feel the energy of the person. We've all got this, we are energy and we've all got connection to feeling and sensing energy and we just don't take advantage of it because we've grown up in a world that overvalues the rational and undervalues the feeling and the energy of experience and we can do so much with being with our energy system and there's a lot of research that shows you know testing things with working with qigong which is part of the some of the things that i do with traditional Chinese medicine Mm -hmm. of how much it helps physical ailments as well as all of life choices. Um, It's just amazing. And your sense of intelligence and well-being. We can do so much. We are so powerful. And for me, toxic relationships is just a symptom of what's happening in our world on all different levels that everybody wants to you know, those people in power want to be the ones in power and act as if we don't have our own power and we can do so much for ourselves. I remember when I escaped domestic violence and he took me to court to, um, you know, because he was a bit delusional. Right, right. And I made a promise to myself that no matter what he did, he was no longer going to control my well-being, my feelings, my life. No matter what happened in my life, I wasn't going to let him control how I felt about me and being in the world. And that was one of the most... It wasn't just a thought. It was a real embodied feeling. And when we hold those intentions, it sets off a whole series of events that really support us so we have so much power that we can, no matter what our situation is, that we can make a difference in. So you said, you know what, from this point forward, I'm taking my power back. I spent time, years, giving it over to him uh, willingly and many times, most of the times, not willingly. And you said, right now, to, from today forward, I'm taking my power back. I own mm-hmm. that again. Yes. That was hard, though. I mean, that had to be very very damn near almost impossible no because i mean well, i know I, it's easy to say it but my god yeah you- look it had to be that it wasn't reliant on what he was doing because he took me through court for seven years and oh. that was just purely to try and protect i was doing it to protect the children because he was very cruel to them and so but you and he we have were- one biological child together correct okay yes but he tried to punish me for trying to protect my biological daughter with him and he went to court to see my other daughter so that he could still have contact with her so i was just trying to protect them both because he used to handcuff my daughter and 
you know, he was really cruel and would so harm like them. Monster. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so on the outside, it didn't necessarily, it might not have looked to people that I was taking my power back because yeah. I was going through court. He got normal father contact in the end. Um, but no, so what I really want to emphasize is it's not about the outcome. It's how you see yourself and what choices you do on a day-to-day -day basis. Every and single that, day. Okay. Yeah. Every day. Self-care every day, basically. It's not about the outcome. Because I yeah. guess thinking about the outcome and focusing on the outcome, that will damn near make you crazy. You know, you can't really be yeah. present. Because yes. had you been focusing on, all right, I'm in court fighting this person for seven years. He wants equal access to these children as if he has been a good parent. Um, and you're like, you, you couldn't really think about that, you know, what the repercussions were. So ultimately, in the end, once the divorce happened, he still had, was able to maintain contact uh, via the court. I, I, I was successful that contact stopped for the my daughter that wasn't biologically his that was that was successful that that was stopped okay. i was successful in that one year through the seven years my biological daughter with him had a break from seeing him okay um and her behavior improved dramatically when she didn't have contact with him mm. um but the court decided to give him uh, his contact back again australia um, sounds kind of like america wow yeah yeah, yeah. because we're relying system. all on the left brain where it's unless it because everything happens behind closed doors and if we rely on the left brain we want to see visual proof something visible right but you've got to look at the feelings and the behaviors of people and the judges and attorneys are not trained to do that clearly they're not you know, yeah. we, I just had a conversation with someone. It's like, whomever can go to court and uh, present the best story, sometimes in many cases, tell the best lie or present themselves as the better off parent. That's the person that's going to win because it is a win and lose type of thing in family court. Yes. Ultimately, yeah. since your children witnessed the abuse, you yourself grew up in an abusive environment and then had an abusive husband. How do people out there, the women out there that are listening, that are going through this right now, what do they do to prepare themselves for the next step in their life? Let's just say they want to leave and they were in the same cycle as you. What do they need to start doing right now? When they that want to leave? a loaded question. Well, you know. No, I no, no, no. I, I just like to pause because everybody's situation is so different. Mm -hmm. And for some women they really don't have time to plan to, to escape. For some okay. women, they can do a bit of a, you know, gather your important papers, um, get, you know, take them into, put them in a bag and leave them at someone else's house so that you've got all of those things secure. Okay, okay. Um, so that's but, kind of tangible stuff. Okay, so emotionally, let me scale the question back. Um, let's just, you know for a fact, I'm presenting it this way, that you are in... A situation that is no longer conducive to your growth as a woman as a mother you are essentially an abused person and i know there's so many women that go back mm. so many women that go back even better question is there something that can be done so that we she won't go back yes 
one of the things that we need to recognise when we've been in that overwhelm, as I said, the frontal cortex shuts down. So we go into the stress response. Now, most people have heard of the fight, flight or freeze stress yes. response. Yes. Yeah. But do you know that there's a fourth one that's only for women? No. Yeah. The fight, flight and freeze was just tested on um, men that had come back from war and it was just assumed that women were the same. But years and years later, a, a woman then studied women under stress and she called it the tending instinct where our oxytocin and our estrogen levels under stress get mobilised and it takes us into a survival pattern, what she also describes as tend, mend and befriend. Tend, so it, mend and befriend. Yes. Okay. So, so if, the, if the man in the stress response is meant to kill the tiger to protect the tribe, the woman's survival response is, I'll keep the tribe together, I'll look after the tribe because back in the day we couldn't survive on our own. It's not like now. And so it was all about keeping the family together, which is, I think, one of the main reasons why women keep going back. Yeah. But also because we live in a society that doesn't adequately support women mm -hmm. when they escape. And so there's a lot of, you know, it's the most dangerous time is when you escape. Um, and so what really needs to happen for women that are in that situation is talk to someone that is skilled it's you know whether it's a friend or a family member that you talk to first because research shows that that's who we do talk to that it, not as many people do go to a, a service that specializes in domestic violence mm -hmm. particularly because we don't identify that that's what we've lived with because we tolerate it because we live with it and we've got through it and I think in the stress response we just like we bestow more capability on the other person we bestow more capability on ourselves because otherwise we'd be filled with too much terror right and right. fear and so we we imagine that we have more control in the relationship that, than we do have mm. and so we don't see it as being abusive because we imagine because of our defense systems of how we manage overwhelming experiences we we minimize what's going on or how we're affected and we maximize our control and choices than what the reality is so the first thing i'd recommend is people to recognize that there's involuntary responses that are going on and it's it's really helpful to have someone to help you know how to take the steps through that's skilled about trauma and abuse and not superficial training. Find out, you know, how much training did they have? You know, you don't want someone that's done a weekend course right. or they just a few hours in the basic psychology or counseling degree. You need somebody that's it, going to be able to dig deep in there. Yeah. Yeah, teach you tools that you can use for yourself at home that help you to connect the brain, process the overwhelming so that step by step you can be with it. Um, it, it is possible. I'm living proof of it. And, it's you know, possible. there's many. So it seems like, you know, such a foreign thing to me. Like I knew that we have a left and a right hemisphere of our brains, but I wasn't really aware. Um, and I know one is far more powerful than the other. 
but how so many of us are walking around traumatized here just for whatever reason you know some from childhood just whatever um and this has been so helpful in kind of understand understanding how to reconnect and to get these two parts to work together yes how long and this is i know this is such as like oh, i'm oversimplifying it right now but let's say someone were to take one of your courses or say hey look doc I'm, uh, hey, hey look anita can you help me to reconnect my right and left hemisphere? How long is that going to take? Because I like, a, I'm, as you'll find out about me, I'm a quantifying type of person. I need to know how long, what to do. And I know life doesn't really work like that all the time. But um, yeah. what are the, what's the process like to begin that reconnection? Because I think everybody in the world could stand to go through that. Every single I person. Agree. I, I think what the things that I teach people are things that I, when I came to experience them, I thought, my God, this is what we all need to Why in the hell grow, don't we teach this up. in school? You know, yes. we're, we're yes. learning stuff that we don't need, but we really need to understand how our minds yes. work metaphysical. Yes. Like we, oh, you know, I'm not going to get off on my soapbox on my tangent about um, the wasted hours in our school system. And I'm pretty sure it's kind of similar over there in Australia. Yeah. How would you recommend that a person even start that process of reconnecting both hemispheres of the brain so that we can be extremely present? Yes, because and just my understanding is that one hemisphere is not more powerful than the other. It's like you were saying that we need them both. Mm -hmm. So that we, if we just think about our experience from the left brain, we don't come to accurate conclusions because we don't have what the capabilities of the right brain, how they absorb different layers of information in our experience. So we have make inaccurate conclusions. And the same, if we've just got our right brain, we're, we're just going to be an emotional mess because right. we don't have the skills of the left brain. We need both. Jeez. And so in your, in your question about how long, it does depend <laughs> on our, our history. Okay. Because, you know, developmentally when we're born and the environment that we're growing in, it, all of those things shape and influence us to how we develop our experience of ourselves and being in the world and what access we actually have to our energy system. And if I can just clarify to your listeners yes. that, you know, how you talk about um, we've all had some kind of trauma. Trauma mm -hmm. is anything that's overwhelming. So when we're an infant or a young child, it's anything because our brain hasn't finished developing and we're dependent for survival on our parents. It puts us in a place when there's something toxic going on of life, death, terror, because we're dependent on say someone that we don't feel safe with, but we have to act as if we're safe with them even or as infants they have to act as if they're lovable when they're not lovable mm -hmm. so that's a, a an experience of trauma or if we've experienced something too much too soon and for too long when we're young they're experiences of trauma so very it's not just what you read about in on the news um and so to come back to your question how how long does it take I think it's not about, we're not broken. It's not about we've got to do this and then we're fixed and then we're okay. Right. It's about learning specific tools so that you've got them for life for whatever overwhelming or challenging experiences, or even if you don't have overwhelming and challenging experiences, but the, you've got the tools that allow you to 
back your own energy, mind, thoughts, feelings up and walk your own path rather than be shaped, influenced and triggered and reacting to people and the environment around you. So, so it's not so much about how long it takes, but if right. you've got trauma, you do of course want to resolve the trauma and you want that to happen as quick as possible because no one likes suffering. Right. The thing that I say is that when we've got the right mind-body tools, the suffering isn't meaningless and it becomes clarifying and life-enhancing because through the processing of the trauma, you get yourself back and you get clarity and strength and capability and acceptance and incredible skills to know a depth about what's going on in you and around you that give you such a sense of power within. And so it becomes a lifelong journey of um, continuing to in expand and enhance your the fullness of who you are and that you know and i know that question was probably way 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 oversimplifying something that is extremely complex and i know there's different um qualifying answers for different people you know i know that yeah. that's probably not like a, a science behind it Whew, this yeah. has been you know what this has been a very deep experience i i feel very open i feel like i need to go and check some energy i feel like i need to zip and unzip <laughs> some today <laughs> i thank you so much anita bentata everyone i will be sharing every single link of hers this is a person that you absolutely must connect with online and everywhere else check out her books check out her writing and right now she's a part of the fam y'all she's one of us now she's uh wow. made it through an episode of i know i'm crazy so <laughs> thank you so much anita being here i know i'm crazy i know i'm doing crazy i know i'm crazy